0: Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. We're winning. We're winning. There we go. Okay. My name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm sorry as I just adjust my pulpits and get everything in order. Um, It is nice to see you. And if you are new, if you're visiting us today, just a special welcome. And just to let you know, we are in a series through the book of Jonah at the moment, which you may have heard and you may have picked up. But this is a book that some of you would know super well. Some of you would know the gist of A Man and a Great Fish. And some of you maybe know very, very little about. I do just want to say before we jump into it today, that our kids aren't doing Jonah downstairs this morning. They're doing Jesus's birthday party. So that's what Christmas is all about. And they've got a big Christmas party going on downstairs. They've got cake and eats and all sorts. And they're learning about the reason for the season, which I think is a very cool thing. But I know all of us in this room have got different stories and different pasts and different upbringings and different history. I know we were all born, well, some of us were born in different decades. We had very different childhoods and all of that. But for me, I was born in 1986. Some of you think I'm very young. Some of you think I'm very old. But that means I kind of grew up in the 90s. You know, I was a 90s kid. And in the 90s, um, there were these really, really, really cool posters. These colorful yellow, blue, green, red, whatever they were, posters with like a bit of a pattern on them. And you would see them on the wall because we had like them in class, uh, in all of our school classes. My friends had them on their walls at home and all of those things. And they were this really interesting patterned poster that if you looked at them in a certain way, there was a hidden picture kind of behind the pattern. Now, you would kind of have to squint your eyes or kind of go up close to the poster and then start to zoom out or kind of try and blur it with your eyes or tilt your head or whatever it was to try and see this picture. And I remember all my friends just saying, Oh, it's a triceratops or it's a whale or a dolphin or a rhino or whatever was hidden behind. But I could never see it. I was devastated as a kid. Like you want to fit in, you want to be able to see the dinosaur or whatever it is. And I could not see it. And my friends would all give me the tips, you know, just squint your eyes. I'm like, Yeah, I've been squinting my eyes or just go in close and then reverse or blur it or tilt or whatever it was. And Whatever I did, I just couldn't see it. you know I'd even go in close and just try and see where are these lines hidden in the pattern. I can't even pick up the line to try and see where this animal could be, no matter how I tried. All I could see was the color of pattern I couldn't see the picture at all. And that's pretty much what's going on in the book of Jonah, you know. Jonah is being shown by God the way that he sees the city of Nineveh, the way he sees all of these people. And God is showing Jonah that actually he sees this nation, the Syrian nation, with incredible love, as people made in his image, as people that he created, and the people that he thinks are valuable and that he cares about. And you see all through Jonah chapter 3 and 4 that Nineveh is called a great city. Now, it is great in size, and it was great in influence. And you might look at the city of Durban today, and you might think, oh, the beach. Durban is a great city, or the architecture, or the people, or the lifestyle, or whatever. Oh, Durban is a great city. But the reason God called Nineveh a great city was because of the people. 120,000 people, different individual people that made up the city. And he loved each and every one and knew every single one of those stories. But Jonah can't see the picture. All he can see is the pattern. And when he looks at the city of Nineveh, what he sees is the enemy of his people, the political enemy of the Israelites, the violent, wicked Ninevites or Assyrian people. And he sees them with hatred. He literally hates this group of people. And every time Jonah tries to look at the Ninevites, no matter what he does, if he tilts his head or squints his eyes or goes in close or reverses, all he can see is people of a different nation and a different faith and a different race and a different background and different values and different everything. He looks at them and he cannot see what God sees when he looks at them and he hates them. But God loves the Ninevites and God loves Jonah. So God is working in Jonah, trying to help him to see what he sees when he looks at the city and when he looks at this group of people. And it's exactly the same as what God is trying to do in each and every one of us today. He wants us to see the city of Durban, see the people of our city, see the people of this world In the same way that he does with the same love and the same view and see that same picture, not see the pattern. God wants you and I to see Durban through those same lenses of love that he sees our city through, that he sees people through. Not the lenses that we might have that are distorted and are showing us a different picture. And it's almost like God is wanting us to see how much he cares You know, it doesn't matter the wickedness or the evil or the sin. He loves and cares about every person and every place so much that he sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross in our place that we could be reconciled to God. And the idea is that as each individual is redeemed and reconciled to him, over time a city can be transformed and renewed and reconciled to God. That is God's will. You know, we see it in Matthew chapter 6. We sung it this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in Durban as it is in heaven. That's what God desires for our city. I think some of you might have seen Carte Blanche had a segment recently which was called Goodbye Durban. It was a segment that was talking about some of the crime and the unemployment and the brokenness and the drug abuse and the dirtiness and the imperfections and flaws of the city of Durban. And it was kind of great timing. It's just as all of these two million people are coming into Durban for Christmas that they post this goodbye Durban piece and everyone thinks, sheesh, what have we decided to do for this Christmas with our kids? And kind of in response to that, there was another video that went viral this week that you might have seen our very own Pumiyam Kizi kind of guest starring there with Russell Curtis. And um, just speaking about another way, speaking about rather than goodbye, giving up on the city of Durban, actually saying, arise, arise, Durban. Almost like the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, arise, Jonah, get up. Now is the time to go to the great city of Nineveh. Now is the time to go to the great city of Durban and to see her redeemed and renewed and transformed into the image of God, to see his kingdom come and his will be done in Durban as it is in heaven. And Harbor City, we want to be a Jonah community, not the runaway kind of Jonah, but the Jonah who is sent into the city of Durban with the word of God on our lips to do the will of God, to see the kingdom of God come, to see his Uh, passion and his purpose fulfilled in this place at this time because this is where he has called us and this is where he has sent us and this is what he wants (laughs) from us to see Durban renewed through the gospel now I've lived here my whole life I'm not crazy I know Durban is far from a perfect city I know some of the stories you have recently of the brokenness and flaws and imperfection of the city but at the same time none of us are perfect people All of us are flawed and imperfect people. And as we talk about seeing the city renewed and the city redeemed, we've also got to think of that personally before we think of it locally. You know, We've got to think of God's heart to see each one of us renewed and redeemed and transformed by the love and grace of the gospel of Jesus. And that that would go from one individual to an entire place, bringing transformation and change. And that really is the big idea of what is going on inside of Jonah chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, can I ask you to turn there? Otherwise, it will come up on the screen behind me. But what we're going to see this morning in this passage is really two big ideas. The first is how does God renew a city? And the second is what does a city that has been renewed look like? So Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So I thought it was amazing, you know, Sonya's word this morning is a God of second chances. And we see this in the story of Jonah. He gets a second chance to walk with God and do what God has called him to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, get up, Jonah, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey and breath. Just to kind of recap a little bit, Jonah has been running from God. Jonah is a reluctant missionary to the city of Nineveh. And if I can maybe just contextualize the story for you just a little bit. Jonah has a personal relationship with God. We would call him a Christian today. And Jonah probably would have had like a daily quiet time, get up early before work, pray, read his Bible, maybe put on some worship jams on the way to work in the morning in his car. He would have probably listened to Christian podcasts, read Christian books, done all sorts of good Christian things, served in church and tithed and been a moral person and all of that. Jonah was a believer. He had a relationship with God. But... It was almost like there was a boundary to what he would do for God. You know, He was happy with having this relationship and being right with God. But as soon as his faith started to get uncomfortable, or as soon as his faith started to, um, I guess, be challenged by God to do things that he didn't want to do, all of a sudden he started to push back. He thought, God, you can ask me to do anything, just not these things. If you ask me to do those things, then I'm kind of out. And when Jonah gets called by God to go to Nineveh, and to preach to them, and to plant a church there, or to pastor them, or to care for those people, all of a sudden he's like, I'm out, Lord. I don't want your will to affect my kind of personal happiness bubble, and what I want for my life. I'm not going to do that at all. But as Jonah reluctantly uh, runs from God, God pursues him absolutely everywhere he goes. And kind of last week we saw that Jonah has been three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. And it's been like a time of trial and a time of prayer for him. And it's been this moment of epiphany or revelation. It's like the lights have gone on for him. That salvation is from God. Jonah 2 verse 9 says salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. It's not from me. It's not something I can do. It's not something I can earn. No matter how hard I try, this is a gift that is given to me by grace from God. I can't earn it. And he sees this inside of this great fish. And then he's released. It's kind of like uh, Brendan was saying last week. After these three days inside of this fish, Jonah finally surrenders and says, Okay, God, whatever you want, I'll surrender. I'll do your will. And he gets spat up on the beach and he makes the long journey all the way to Nineveh and decides to obey God. And that's where we find ourselves today. In Jonah chapter three, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And Jonah responds to God's word. He's surrendered, he's given up, he stopped trying to get away from God. And he said, Okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. But Jonah is still in a process. Jonah is far from perfect. There's still lots going on under the surface in his life that is not Christian or Christ-like or godly or anything like that. He's still being sanctified or transformed or was shaped into the image of Jesus. And his mindset is changing. His worldview is changing. The things he loves and desires are changing. What he does is being changed as he's following God and responding to God. So Jonah is a believer, but there's sin inside of him. There's pride and prejudice and bigotry and racism and xenophobia all inside of Jonah's heart. And he looks at these Ninevites, and even though he's like, okay, God, I'll do what you've called me to do, he hates it. He still hates them. It's still inside of him. But God calls this imperfect, flawed individual named Jonah to go to the city he hates and these people that he hates to go and preach the word of God to them. That's amazing, hey, that God would use flawed, broken, biased, bigoted people like Jonah. But he does. And he does the same with us. Jonah was sent as a missionary to Nineveh, but you and I are sent as missionaries to the city of Durban. You and I are sent out of here every single week to go and join God in the work that he is doing and sharing about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. We are missionaries. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, you are a missionary. That is part of your identity as a son of God. But that doesn't mean we're perfect. We're still flawed. We're still imperfect. We're still broken. We still have prejudice inside of us actually prayed this morning in our pre-service prayer meeting that God would deal with that, that he would deal with the prejudice inside of us. And one of the people was just weeping in prayer, just saying, God, would you clear this stuff out of my heart? Tim Keller shares the story about... um, a revival that broke out in 1907 in Pyongyang in North Korea. or It's now the capital of North Korea. And I want you to think about this. This was at a Bible conference. So a whole lot of Christians, or at least people very interested in the Bible, so I don't think there's a ton of people outside of the faith who would be going to that. They come to this Bible conference, and there's preaching going on, and this conviction comes upon this whole group of believers, particularly as one preacher preaches against, I guess, the sin of prejudice that they have against the Japanese. There's this bias against the Japanese that is inside of these North Korean people. And conviction comes upon them because it's like their sin is exposed. Now, I want you to think about this. These are all Christians. These are all people who've heard the gospel before. They know Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They can be forgiven if they repent and put their faith in God. That our faith is one of forgiveness and reconciliation, first between God and man, and then between man and man. All of this is going on. They've got the theology, but still, it hasn't sunk from their heads into their hearts that they're able to forgive their neighbor, or love their neighbor, or love their enemy, the Japanese. But it's like the Spirit of God just does something inside of some of their hearts in that moment. And they realize that this bias is inside of them. And they see that they've got this flawed logic. And almost the grace of God clicks, kind of like it's done for Jonah. And they see, you know what? We are on the same playing field as everyone else, Japanese, Korean, or other. We all come before God in exactly the same stage. We're not higher. We're not lower than anyone. We're all on the same playing field. And the question is, are you in Christ? And this change happens, and this repentance happens, and this forgiveness happens in this group at this Bible conference. And people start going around reconciling with those that they've got broken relationships with, going house to house. It seems like they were robbing some of their neighbors because they judged their neighbors. People are giving back the things they stole, and there's a new power that comes upon their worship gatherings because their hearts are broken for one another. That's such an amazing thing. They'd started to see the picture rather than the pattern. It was like the blind spots that they had inside of them towards other people are being torn down by God. And they're starting to see through the same lenses of love that God sees each one of us through. And all of a sudden, all of their prejudice is exposed, their bigotry is exposed, and they start to love their Japanese brothers and sisters. I think for each of us in this room, we're in a process. Each of us are imperfect, and we will be till the day we die, as our mindsets are renewed, our hearts are renewed, our actions are renewed. But I want to ask you today if in you there's any part of your heart or your life where you feel like you are running from God. I want to ask you today if there is any part of your life where there is prejudice against someone else or unforgiveness against someone else. I want to ask you today if there's any ways where that grace of God hasn't dropped from your head into your heart in the way you treat others. And if there is, I want to encourage us to be the kind of church that doesn't just confess to God, repent to God, but actually shares that with someone else. Says, this is going on inside of me. Would you pray with me? Would you encourage me? Would you help me? We don't want to do this alone. We want to do this kind of thing in community. We want to surrender all of our lives over to God as he was calling Jonah to do. And in Jonah 3 verse 4, we read this. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How did God renew the city of Nineveh? He sent a messenger with a message to go and preach. Now, I don't know how you believe the city of Durban can be renewed and restored. I think if I did kind of open it up now, there would be all sorts of ideas thrown out. You know, you might say, education. We need to tackle the education problem in our city. We need to tackle unemployment. We need to tackle kind of investment into this nation. Or what about the past? You know, There's all sorts of things that are going on. We need reparations. We need reconciliation. We need forgiveness. We need healing. There's tons of things that we could talk about that need to be transformed and healed inside of our city. And all of that is true. But God shows us in the book of Jonah... So when he comes to renew a city, he goes below the surface to the roots, not the fruit, the roots. He goes below the surface things that we see and the problems we see to the underground heart things that are going on. And he sends someone with a message to call people to repent and to turn back to God and to his ways. How did God renew the city of Jonah? With the word of God. He sent the word of God into this place. And I want to say that preaching matters. I'm not just talking about what I'm doing today. I'm not just talking about the Sunday upfront kind of preaching. I'm talking about each one of us called as missionaries by God, preachers by God to the city of Durban and to the world that we live in. Each of us are called to share the message of Jesus. And we do believe in gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration, in word and deed ministry, in what we do and in what we say. It's not either or, it's both and kind of stuff. But we see in this passage that preaching matters. And the word of God comes to this man, Jonah, and he goes into a city and he proclaims the word of God. And he calls people to repent. He calls people to turn to God. And there is change that comes. And we believe that for the city of Durban today too. Preaching is necessary in our city. Each of us are called by God to preach his message. To see first personal salvation in people's lives, but over time to see that impact the whole city around us and to see citywide renewal. That starts in crowds and small groups and homes and offices one on one. That's something that needs to be happening if we want to see the city renewed. That's one of the reasons as Noxie was talking about, that we're looking forward to doing Elfin twenty nineteen. We want to create space and opportunities to point people to Jesus, to see people's questions answered, and for people to hear the word of God, to hear about Jesus. Because each one of us are sent by God as missionaries into the city to live out this message, to embody it, to Preach it, to proclaim it, to share it. Now, when I first studied this book a couple of years ago, I got to preach this exact same passage, Jonah chapter 3. And I came to this and I was so excited to read Jonah's sermon. So I thought to myself, this sermon is going to be absolutely life changing. I was, I was pumped. I thought, this sermon has the potential for preaching revelation that can bring citywide change to cities and nations the globe you know and I was so excited I got our commentaries I got our study bibles I thought getting into this could unlock it could have this key to unlock the nations for Jesus and then I came to what it really says and I was so disappointed you ready for this this message that led a city to repent 120,000 people to turn to God in one day Jonah preaches yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown I want you to just think about this for a sec like Imagine after today, you're pumped up, you've been at church, you've been worshiping, God's been speaking to you, you're encouraged, you're filled with the Spirit, you're on fire for God. You leave here and you go to the grocery store, go to Moses Mabida. you go to wherever there's a lot of people, you go to a coffee shop, go to work tomorrow, whatever it is, put out your soapbox, you get up and you proclaim. Yet 40 days and Durban will be overthrown. I don't think any of us think That our friends or family or co-workers or the people in the city would say, thank you for that message, Grant. You have revealed the loving heart of God, how he pursues us. And you've shown me how much you care for the city and for each one of its people. I don't think any of us would expect that. I don't think we'd expect people to respond positively at all. But that's exactly what Jonah preaches. And we look at this message and we think, what's going on here? There's no hope here. There's no sharing of God's love. Or the possibility that actually if we repent, God would save us. I think like the craziest thing to me is Jonah has just spent three days in this fish. Three days and three nights. And he's gotten this revelation of God's grace. You know, he sees what a rotten guy he is. He's apologized to God. He's experienced forgiveness. He doesn't share that as a personal illustration at all. What is going on with Jonah? It's just judgment, condemnation, and harshness. And I think there's this reality that this could be a summary. You know, those eight words in English or five words in the Hebrew could be a summary of Jonah's message, of course. Or God could have told him to say that and that just the power of God dropped on the city and everyone turned to him and there was radical transformation. But I think what everyone seems to think as they look at the sermon is that Jonah has begrudgingly done what God called him to do. He's given up running and he says, fine, God, I'll go to Nineveh. And he goes, he says, cool, let me just preach this message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I've done my job, you know, I'm done. And it's almost like in this message, you see how fed up Jonah is you see his hatred for the Ninevites you see his prejudice you see his judgment see he's not happy to be there and he preaches this message of judgment and condemnation so he can say God I've ticked the box I've done what you called me to do now I can go home and I can chill I'm done with fulfilling your will and this will become even more clear as we get to Jonah 4 next week but basically rather than going in prayed up Preparing this message, polishing this illustration of what God has done with him inside of that fish. Of thinking through how best can I share this message with the Ninevites. That they would maybe turn to God and experience his love, grace, and truth. He kind of stands up and says, hey everyone, God is going to kill you. You've got 40 days. I'm out. That's exactly what Jonah does in this book. And I think to myself, how has God not given up on Jonah? You know? Like we've seen him. He runs the other direction. He goes to Tarshish when he's called to go to Nineveh. Then we've got the situation on the boat when he's sleeping, when everyone is drowning because of him. And then we've got the situation in the whale. Well, and now he preaches this message, this judgmental prejudiced message in Nineveh. You just think, why does God have so much time for this man? Why doesn't he pick someone else? Why doesn't he give up on him? Maybe as amazing is the fact that Jonah's sermon actually works. I think we would never do something like that. We would be terrified of doing something like that. But Jonah does. And instead, like as he kind of gets off his soapbox to leave. Everyone is wailing with repentance and prayer. They're putting on sackcloth and ashes. They're turning to God from their sin, from their evil, from their wickedness. Even the king makes like this royal edict. He says, everyone repent, because maybe if we do that, God will forgive us and show us grace. We need to think about that. The most powerful man in the city, he says, come on guys, we've got to get down on our hands and knees and repent before God, because this is not right. To repent is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and a change of life. The king is saying, guys, we need to think differently. We need to love differently. We need to live differently. And it's almost like, I think the way this would work in a city is tomorrow at the end of the day, you get an email from your boss saying, guys, do not come into work tomorrow. Instead, stay at home or take to the streets. But you need to repent of your sin and your evil. Repent of your wickedness tomorrow. It's more important than your work. That stuff can wait. We need to get right with God as a city. That's what's going on in the book of Jonah. And everyone responds. It's this act of grace. Even though he preaches this judgmental, harsh, critical message, God still in his grace uses it because he cares so much about the Ninevites. Jonah 3, verse 5 to 10. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes." how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. And it's almost like Jonah is shocked. Everyone's shocked. We're shocked. The Ninevites have repented and they've turned. They've spent a day in fasting, sackcloth and ashes after this terrible message. And the sackcloth is an image. It's a picture of mass repentance. The fact that they would put on this horrible sackcloth outfit. They are humbling themselves before God. And they repent all of these things and they change. And that really is a picture of what city renewal looks like and what it starts with. The big idea here is this repentance. The people all turn back to God and turn from everything to him. And over time, what would happen is their heart renewal, their heart change, their personal transformation would lead to social, economic, cultural, educational, every kind of holistic change in the city as the gospel goes deeper and deeper into the consciousness of a place. Jonah 3 verse 10, what God's, when God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, this word relented is the Hebrew word, word nachamed, if I'm saying it right. The word means that God changed his mind. I think that's kind of a mind-blowing thought. God looks at what's going down there, and he changes his mind, and he, does, he decides not to destroy them. He extends love and grace and compassion towards them. And this means this, that God responds to you and I. God responds to what we do. God responds to what we say. God responds to our actions and our behavior. And in chapter four, we're going to see next week that Jonah is furious with God about this. You know, you and I would be so excited if some of our friends or our family turned to Jesus, put their faith in him, we would be over the moon. This whole city has just done this. And Jonah, instead of being excited, is furious with God. He loses his temper and he does it because of this, because he knew that God was like this. He knew that God does this kind of thing. He was expecting God to show these people grace and he hates them. He wants them to be destroyed. So when God averts his wrath and anger and shows them grace, Jonah is furious and he says, God, I knew what you were like, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Of course, you're going to forgive anyone if they repent of their sin. That's just who you are. And that's such good news for you and I today. Because, of course, God is the kind of God who will forgive us of our sin if we repent and turn to him. And that doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you may have done or not done. It doesn't matter what may have been done to you or not been done to you. God can forgive us just if we would turn and trust in him. That is the God he is, and that's the kind of work that he does. And here we see God respond to Nineveh in such an incredible way because God loves cities. And he loves them because they're filled with people. Nineveh was filled with 120,000 people, Durban is filled with three and a half million ish people. God loves Durban more than he loves Nineveh, you know. God cares more about the people of Durban because there's just more of them than there were in the city of Nineveh. And Shel and I live in the fifth floor of this building, just above the Botanic Gardens, and we've got an amazing view of the city. A lot of you have been in our home, and it's going to be very, very hard for us to leave just because we get to see you out over Durban so beautifully. But often I'll stand at that window, and I'll kind of look out, and I'll just I'll ask God that prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in Durban as it is in heaven. I, I want to see it happen. I want to see you do the Nineveh thing in Durban. Do it again, or do it in our day. We'd love to see this go down. And there's a passage in Matthew chapter 9 where I love to kind of superimpose Jesus into my flat because Jesus in this passage in Matthew 9 is looking out over the city and he's looking out over all the people and he sees them as harassed and helpless, as sheep without a shepherd. And I like to kind of picture Jesus standing at my windowsill, looking out over Durban, looking out over the people of our city who are harassed and helpless and caring for the people of Durban and desiring to see change and seeing people come to him because that's what he cares about. And in this passage in Matthew 9, Jesus says, actually, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe. People want God. They might not know that they desire Jesus, but they do. They do want him. They do want him because he satisfies all of our needs and our wants. If we're looking for approval, if we're looking for acceptance or forgiveness or newness or healing or meaning or purpose or joy or hope or peace or satisfaction or freedom, it is all found inside of Jesus. And for people, as we look for those things, he is the ultimate reality and the ultimate answer. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he prays that workers would be sent into the city that he's looking at. And as he stands at my window into the city of Durban too. I think one of my prayers for this church is that we would be that kind of church, that we would be an answering Jesus' prayer kind of people, that we we would see ourselves as sent out into Durban. Actually, this is what we're called to, to serve the harvest, to work the harvest, to see harassed and helpless people meet the great shepherd and find his love and make peace with God and be reconciled to him, because that is the work of God. Salvation is the work that God does. He wants us to join him in his work. I'll end with one last story, but um, when I was little, I would from time to time go to my dad's office and it would be like kind of after exams or some school holidays or whatever it was. It wasn't all the time, but I remember people would say to me, Grant, what does your dad do? And I wouldn't really know how to answer them because my dad worked for Eskom. So that would be my answer. I'd say, well, my dad works for Eskom. And they'd say, but what does he do? And because my dad wasn't like a lawyer or a teacher or an electrician, it was harder. He was involved with asset management and logistics and things like that, which as a kid, is you don't even know what that means, you know. So he works at Eskim is a lot easier. And at these times when I would go to my dad's office, I feel like I got to know my dad better, you know. He would spend, I don't know, eight or nine hours a day at this place. And going in, I would get to see what so much of his life looked like, you know. I'd go in and I'd meet like his PA and go into his office and see his desk. And he had a nice whiteboard up on the wall and he had a little conference table there. And most impressively to me as this young kid, my dad had a bar fridge and it was always stocked with cold drinks, you know. So sadly it was, I don't know, it was dry lemon and weird drinks like that. So I'd have that. But um, it would just be a privilege to go in and go to the bar fridge and have a drink and then set up my work stuff at his conference table. Set up my Lego or my homework or my book or whatever I was doing. And my dad would do his work. Spreadsheets and emails and phone calls and meetings, whatever he did, and I'd be working the Lego or the homework or the reading or whatever I had to do. But being in the office with my dad and meeting some of his colleagues and seeing him at work, it was like even though I didn't fully understand what he did at ESKIM, I got such a window into my dad's life. And I got to understand a lot more what his life looked like. I feel like I got to understand what his weeks looked like. And I think like intimacy with my dad and like a deeper relationship with my dad developed in silly moments like that, doing Lego at his conference table. And in the book of Jonah, I think I've asked myself again and again and again, why is God so insistent on Jonah? You know, like why him? If it was me, I would have given up on him by now. I'm not as patient as God is. And God just pursues him again and again and again. I'd have gone, okay, Isaiah, Jonah's out, like you're in, or Amos or Joel, or Habakkuk, someone. I'll send you. You go to Nineveh. You preach instead. But the reason that God is so insistent and persistent and just continues to pursue Jonah is because he's not sending him because he wants something from Jonah. It's because he wants something for Jonah. God is Jonah's father. And he wants to invite his boy to work with him, to come and get to know him in new ways. Like a daddy-daughter date or a father-son kind of day in the office. And God is saying, Jonah, come into the work that I'm doing and join me in what I am doing in this world. And Jonah was just like me. Jonah had no idea what his father does. People would say, what does God do? He'd say, oh, he works in heaven. Oh, he works at Eskim. He didn't know what God did. And when he starts to see what God does, he renews places like Nineveh. He didn't like it at all. He was furious about the work that God was involved in. He didn't get it. He saw the pattern, not the picture. And God is saying, come and join me in Nineveh in my work and get to know these people and watch me do something incredible through you, with you in the city at this time. And guys, that is the thing that we are called to. It's not that God wants something from you. It's that God wants something for you to join him in this work of the harvest, to join him in this work in the city, to get to know our father better and the work that he is involved in and to be part of what he's doing in this city. Now today is, um, Pumyam Kisi's last Sunday as a member of this church. Very sadly, um, she's going on holiday and then she'll be moving to Ladysmith fairly soon. But, um, While I was preparing for today, I thought it would be so cool for Pums just to share a little bit, not knowing she would be like a viral sensation this week. But Pums has an amazing heart for the city of Durban, and I think God has done some amazing work in her heart for people in this place, and Jonah's played a part in that. So I asked her just to share for a few minutes with us some of that heart, and then to pray for us. So Pums, why don't you come up and share? Let's give her a little round of applause. Special moment with this lady, huh?
1: morning, Harvest City. I um, so will have to excuse me, I might read a bit, but um, yeah, the, um, I'll just share a few things that I've been carrying in my heart. Um, and I think it's just so incredible how God um, desires to impress us and to speak to us. Um, he patiently works in our hearts and then it Invites us into his adventure, as Grant has shared so well, um, where he works through us to to love people um, and draw and draw people near to himself. Um, and I've heard the story of Jonah several times. Um, and about five years ago, when we first uh, planted the church, um, Jane, Jamie Tinnett, um shared on the Book of Jonah, and I remember he shared on um, mega cities. You know. And um he showed us pictures um, of these cities that were like densely populated, intensively cultured. Um and for me, um um starting starting church in Durban um from Pinetown and also st- starting architecture, I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is amazing, these ten, top ten cities that I need to go and see now. Um I was so, so like thrilled by the message. Um and then towards the end of the book of Jonah, he spoke, um, about an incident which really revealed, um, Jonah's heart, um, where he, he got so angry over a withered plant, like passionately angry, that he wanted to die. Sorry to get the story away. Um, but, um, that, yeah, and, and, um, but didn't have the same heart for people. Um, and at that moment, I rea- I realized that that was entirely me. People were too messy to deal with. Um, and t- just too hard to love. There were so many problems, um, and I just felt in my heart I was more interested in the idea of what a, a good and great city could um, be like. Um, and in, in, as Jamie shared those words, that God loves people more than plants, I remember in my in my mind and in my heart just hearing God saying to me that he loves people more than beautiful um, beautiful skyscrapers, beautiful beaches, beautiful streets, um, um, a be- a more than my beautiful and tidy life, um, that actually he was after people's hearts um, and and their redemption, and that they would repent and turn from his ways and, t- and uh, respond to the love of God in their lives. Um, and I think this journey of loving God's people through work, um, through church, uh, and all of life has been um, just incredible, just to see God's grace um, f- uh, to walk me through all those things and as as he is continued, continuing to walk um, me through those things. Um, and um, then I was just thinking about our church and some of the skills that are represented in this church. Um, we've got a ton of architects, like, don't feel special anymore if you're an architect in this church. Um, and then we've also got um, some doctors Um and I really just felt that, um, God, um, reminded me those things as, um, just, um, like a picture of what he wanted to do in the city. Um, just how doctors, um, work with gentleness and care. And at times it's actually messy effort. They don't get enough sleep, um, awkward hours. And yet they walk alongside people for their healing and for their recovery. Um, and for us as, God would call people to repentance even through Alpha, that he'd um, want us to walk alongside people that wouldn't just be "Ah, repent and come to church and leave them there, but actually that God would um, heal um, our families, our community, um, and our city um, through us walking alongside people. Um, And then just the second idea of just um, what architects do, and I think the work of um, an architect is like, you get this vision of what, um, the bigger, more beautiful picture might be at the end. Um, and then it's actually a lot of hard work. It's like, um, mud and bricks and it's really messy. Um, but slowly, um, the community builds towards this vision. And as it comes together in the end, it's such a beautiful thing. And I think, um, for doctors, doctors, Help people towards recovery, but it's only God who really heals a person. Um, and um, God, God is, God is our um, master builder, and He's our master doctor. Um, and I really, uh, yeah, I really believe just that in this next season, um, as we allow God to uh, work in our hearts to help us love people, He'd actually just beyond helping us love people, He'd um, help um, help heal our city and also just like really build, um, into different parts of the city. Um, so I'm going to end just uh, by praying for us, if that's okay. Um, and yeah, just maybe in summary that, um, you might be new to the faith and God is actually pursuing you to receive his love. Um, and then for others of us, uh, God is saying, like, he's got plenty of love to give, and um, that's beyond our, our lives. Um, he loves people more than plants. Um, and I feel like for us as a church, um, God would really sharpen the way um, we love for healing and the building up of our families, communities, and our cities again. So if I could pray. Father God, we just thank you that you are such an incredible God. We thank you that you have been at work in our city from the very beginning, God, that your spirit is at work in hearts in the city, God, and you call them to yourself, you call them in love, God. I thank you that you graciously invite your church to adventure with you, God. You set your love on us, God, you um you want to meet us where we are, you want to heal our hearts. Um, for your glory, God. And I pray that even in this next uh, season, God, that as a church, you would extend us, God. You teach us how to love people well, um, how to walk alongside people for their healing. Um, God, that you would uh, really just envision us, God, with ways to build in our community, in our church, in our city. God, for your glory, we thank you that um your spirit is already at work, and we have the privilege of partnering with you, God. We we praise you, God, and pray that um, the city would um, cry out in repentance um, towards you, God, but also, God, that there would be a cry of worship, God, as people um, turn their hearts to you, God.
0: So um, near the end of 2013 about 35 uh, missionaries with a desire to see Durban impacted by the gospel started meeting in the botanic gardens um on the what was it the 11th of August 2013 and pumi was one of those 35 and i just think it was a beautiful moment now you see many new faces and many people have gone to different parts of the country and the world but today's the day of us saying goodbye and well done after five and a half years of service, and I think it would be amazing for you guys to encourage Pums or say something to her afterwards, but um, Pums, I did want to say to you, I think you've been an incredible member of this church, deacon, leader in this church. I think you've been an amazing missionary in the city, and we'll miss you as you go to Lady Smith. but I think the way you've really given yourself to what Jesus has called you to is such a beautiful thing to see, and I know you'll do the same in Lady Smith. So as Pums leaves today, we really are sending her out as a church. It's not just like, cheers, Pums, like, have a good life. It's like we do want to send her in the blessing of God and in the power of His Spirit to do what He's called her to in a new place. And it's a loss for us to see her go or anyone go. It's a gift where anyone new is added to this community. But we'd love to pray with her for faith almost and send her out because we believe God has got purposes for her there, just as He's wanting to use each of us inside of Durban. And almost as she's been a faithful missionary in Durban now, in Ladysmith, that she would do the same. So I just thought we've got um, a lot of Pums 's family here today, and we do want to honor you guys. But I thought maybe you guys could come up and join me, maybe along with some of Pums 's friends. And could we pray for her and actually send her out well before we end in worship and just actually trust that God would fill her with his spirit and empower her for that task. So can I ask you guys to come up now if you are so brave?
2: Jesus, thank you for your daughter who has come into our community and into our hearts as your people and shown us so much of who you are, shown us your gentleness and your care and your strength in a quiet way. Um, Thank you for the call in her life, Jesus, for her faithfulness and for her, even through difficult times, her the way she keeps going when she's not sure, when she's uncertain, when things are tough, um, when she makes mistakes, the way she keeps going and believes um, in your grace and in the grace that you've shown her in her past, the grace that you showed Jonah, that you showed Nineveh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown who you are in the story of her life so far, and we trust you for the story of her life to come. And the things that you will reveal to Lady Smith, to Durban, to those that are close to her. um, Through her faithfulness and her life, Jesus, and through your great, great grace, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you would be with her in every aspect as she leaves, Lord. Thank you that you will give her strength, that you will give her faith when things are tough, when she's uncertain. Thank you that you will give her um, friendship and companionship when as she enters a new space and when things get lonely lord thank you jesus for your incredible love for pume thank you for the incredible blessing that she has been to so many of us thank you for her family for her parents and for her siblings who have loved her um, and who have raised her into the woman that she is god um, thank you for your sovereignty placing her where she is for the time period that you have allotted and we have faith in that my father
3: Lord, we, we thank you that as um we're, we're sad to see her go, but inside our hearts, we are deeply excited for what your next season is going to be for this woman, King. <laughs> uh, thank you for the blessing that she has been here. Yeah? Thank you for the depth of who she is and her heart, Lord, um, for the people around her and the way that she just loves. I've heard the stories that come out of her home group and individual uh, relationships and friendships that she connects so deeply with people and cares so softly, Lord, um, just really reflecting your love in a unique way. Um, thank you for the blessing that that's been. But also we, we just commit this next season um, where I really feel that God wants to show you, Pumi, some of the deeper things that He's put in your heart. And um, he, he wants to excite you in some new places, um, with some new people and some new tasks, and that you are so ready for this. Um, he has equipped you for this season and um, he is with you. He's gone ahead. He's paved the way. And um, yeah, we're excited to hear the stories that come back from this next season, Pums.
0: So Lord, we bless and send Pumi out um, as a church. We trust her into your hands. So we know that you've got good plans for her life and her future. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for courage, um, for power, for you to fill her and lead her. And we pray, Lord, that you would use her in amazing ways and that you would be in the details of this next season, the details of what she desires and would so love, the secret prayers she's been praying. We thank you for you to answer them and meet with her and bless her and use her, Lord. And yeah, we trust her to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know for many of you this might feel like a bit of an in-house moment, um, disconnected from your life. But the idea is that today as we leave here, we also go out into the city in a fresh way. Like Pums goes to Ladysmith, we go out to serve God in our workspaces and in our neighborhoods and in our buildings and in our homes. And actually as we worship now, this is a song about God's heart. It's a song about Jonah. And I trust almost, if you would stand with me. We almost sing this with faith about what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives for his glory.